Welcome to episode number 53 in this two-part episode of the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I truly appreciate you tuning in today. This week, I've put together a double episode. Episode number 53 is a recent conversation with fat bike, bike packer, and adventurer, as well as a bike builder, teacher, and the head of the University of Iowa Art and Art History Department. Uh, That's all relevant and connected, as you'll soon hear. Steve McGuire. Episode number 54 is a conversation I had with Steve in 2019 after meeting him on the Iditarod Trail. I'll give you more of an introduction at the end of this show, but I do want to get to this week's show. Before we get there, however, I need to thank Bike Rags Apparel for sponsoring Bike Talk with Dave. Bike Rags is a U.S. apparel company supplying teams, clubs, and events with promotional materials, cycling jerseys, shorts, koozies, t-shirts, hats, whatever you need. In fact, they're doing our hats. They have low minimums on orders and great prices, and they do exceptional work whether you need screen printing, embroidery, or sublimation. Be sure to contact Morgan at Bike Rags and tell her you heard about them here. Just click on www.bikeragsapparel.com or send an email to info at bikeragsapparel.com to request a quote. And now, sit back, grab a cup of delicious chain and spoke coffee, and enjoy my conversation with Steve McGuire. Pretty grassroots then. Yeah, it was just crazy different. You know G Pickle, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Gesselman. Gesselman, yeah. thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he won it once. Yeah, yeah. Second that or third was, year or something? Yeah, that's right. You know, and Gravel Worlds was the same way. I did it the first year when it was the Good Life Gravel Adventure, and there oh, was yeah. 20 people at a, at a city park that and, we took off from. And uh, cornbread. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really quite fun. Did you yeah. ever do Trans Iowa? I did Trans Iowa once and I finished it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was, I'm 0 for 3. Oh, uh, geez. It was, I did it in 2007. You, you and, did it in a year I didn't do it because all of mine were wet. Yeah, this was really good weather, though we had some water crossings. Mm. And, um,. We had a, there was a wrong turn that was on the queue. Everybody was messing with it, and it was quite the adventure. It and, always is, yeah. for sure. And, you can't imagine there's such an adventure in Iowa, but whew, uh, you said water crossings, and I just laughed because my first year, like, we got four inches of rain the day of the race, the first year I did it. Uh, I think it was year two. It was either two or three. Nobody finished. I got 65 miles in and like broke my leg and broke. My, I mean, broke my sword. Really? Not literally, but uh, IT band syndrome. Like I couldn't pedal with with okay. one of my legs. Yeah. I literally couldn't. So pedal. were you feeling it in your knee or in your hip? Knee. Knee. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I I don't get it real bad. Every once in a while, I get something else. Didn't you know? Usually. It's a stretch is really effective for mm-hmm. that. Yep. So it works. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. I I, I should have been. Well, good for you. Well, not good for me. I got 
65 miles one year, I got 35 miles one year, and I got 100 miles one year. So not very yeah, good it was, record uh, at Trans-Iowa. But. I think it was, you know, I was within an hour of the cutoff. Oh, perfect. And, uh, perfect. and then Trans-South Dakota. Oh, nice. And Trans-Wisconsin, which they was... Know they had that. Yeah, they did it one time. And it was from Spring Green up to Bayfield. And I didn't know uh, Wisconsin had so much sand. Oh, sure. It was insane. Yeah. And that. But, Fat bike? Uh, no, but a single speed. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, single speed black sheep with uh, 2.4 tires. Oh, those are pretty wide. Yeah. Close. Yeah. Close. Yeah. But um, that was really fun. I mean, that was really an adventure because nobody... We only had a, a GPS track, and nobody had really scouted the course. And a couple of times we ended up in cornfields that, um, you know, really weren't supposed to be there. We didn't know where we were, but, you know, we made it. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I love the adventures like that. Yeah. You know, where you get in a little bit over your head or you don't really know where you are or where you're going. And you can run into stuff like that, like 10 miles from home sometimes, right? which is cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can remember years ago, we lived in rural Kelowna, and uh, for 12 years I commuted to the university by bike. Oh. And so, you know, it was a great way to get rides. And then um, I uh, had uh, some parts that I had gotten from, picked up from Tom Teasdale, and I had a Bob Yak uh, 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 trailer, and I, uh, is that what it was, Yak? Yeah. Yeah, Bob, Bob. Yak, Bob, Yak. Bob trailer. Bob. It was a Bob yeah. trailer. Bob trailer. Made Yak. by Yak, maybe? But um, I, uh, bringing the parts home, it's 10 below zero, really cold. I'd already been to, uh, Alaska and done the I did a sport. I was, you know, very familiar with what I should and shouldn't do in terms of avoiding getting frostbite or getting really cold. But, you know, I got to Sharon Center about uh, four and a half miles from home. I had a flat tire Ooh. on the uh, on the trailer, and I thought, ah, fine, I'll, I'll fix it. But I did the wrong thing. I I took everything off. First, I thought, I'll just do it quick with my hands. Took off the gloves, did it real quick with my hands, and, uh, you know, took everything off my hands. And then, all of a sudden, um, I discovered I don't have any tools. My son had them. Oh, no. And I was like, holy shit. I can't leave this stuff here. What am I going to do? There's no cell phone at the time. And so... um, I started walking and I was getting really cold uh, and I had, because I just was not dressed for it, I wasn't prepared and I was so close to home, it just seemed crazy that I was in this situation. And uh, about a mile and a half later, uh, there's an Amish farm that does woodworking and they were burning some leftover wood uh, outside and I just threw my bike down and went over there and warmed up. And then I walked the rest of the way home, and I was That okay. was probably a life-saving pile of wood. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I, mean, I just was so reminded, like, one bad decision. 
Yeah, you know? and still so close to home. It's still so close to home, and there's nobody, you know, maybe if it would have gotten really bad, I would have flagged somebody, but it was uh, just like that. Boom. Yeah. Wow, crazy. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this because I want I want to get these stories uh, on uh, on air. Okay. Make sure that's recording and doing good. <clears throat> Steve, welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. This is the second time we've met in the bike lab, and I'm yeah. thrilled to be here. Again. Ah, thanks, Dave. It yeah. it looks pretty uh, similar to it when it did. That was four years ago. Yeah. That uh, 2019. You know, it, it's similar. It's the same. You know, we update some things. Uh, we also just update how we build bikes, mm -hmm. just tweak things every year a little bit. Uh, things that we discover as we work with students, but also, uh, you know, new options and yeah. that. But, uh, you know, it's the same class, same space. Uh, you know, interestingly, um, lately, uh, folks at other schools have asked about this space, and so actually have a map of the space, the cost of equipment uh, to give to people so they can see how uh, we did this and what's involved. Well, back up a little bit because all of our listeners might ha not have any idea of what the heck you're talking about and you've teased them well with students and bike builds and things like that. What are you doing here? What's going on? Where are we and what are you doing here? Okay, so professor at the University of Iowa, director of the School of Art and Art History, I've actually taught here since 1988, so a long time. And uh, uh, 2010, I uh, thought to myself, what would be good to teach that uh, students could learn a variety of skills that were broadly applicable and might be you know might be engineering related might be for sure interdisciplinary and uh, I've always ridden my bike taken uh, up to that point and since lots of bike trips and I had already uh, been working for a few years with Tom Teasdale in West Branch and so I thought well why not start a frame building course and so, um, first course, there were 17 students. Uh, there was one jig, and there was, uh, and I tried to uh, teach both uh, TIG welding and bracing in the same semester. Now, the good thing was, uh, Tom was teaching with me. And so, that was just, you know, that was, that was a blast. I mean, I always like this story so uh, about Tom. So um, Richie one time told uh, Gary Fisher, the best thing that ever happened to you was Tom Teasdale. And uh, what he meant by that was that Tom built the original uh, Fisher frames, the Mount Tam frames and all those out in West Branch. And, uh, so Tom was working with us. Uh, I learned a lot before and especially while he was uh, in the class. And he did that for two semesters and then um, we continued on. And uh, we've offered the course every semester except for one semester during the pandemic. Otherwise, you know, we've done it. 
I think to date, uh, over 300 students have left with a frame, which is, you know, when you think about, I'm 64, when you think about the things that uh, you contributed, I like to imagine that, you know, former students have bicycles, they're all over the world, and they've got this thing that they're going to keep for life. So here at the University of Iowa, we have the bike studio. And it's uh, more than anything dedicated to uh, the fabrication of titanium and steel frames. And um, next week, uh, we'll be off on Monday, but on Wednesday, the, the next class starts. And um, I get some of the best university students. I, you know, it, they, you can only take it by special permission. So I interview people, try to get a sense of things, and um, we'll be off to the races. Wow. Um, and it's a combination of art and engineering students? Yeah, art and engineering students. Uh, for the engineering majors uh, who are mechanical, industrial, civil, uh, electrical, uh, it can count toward their major. And then there are three levels of the course. Uh, first course, uh, everyone works in steel. Uh, you don't have to during the second course. Almost everybody works in uh, titanium, though. And then the third class, you know, it's usually an additional bike. It might be uh, designing and engineering components. Uh, depends on the individual student and their interest. And this semester we'll have two bike two, one bike three, and uh, nine uh, bike one. So we're limited uh, by the number of frame jigs we have. So very quickly I figured out um, wasn't going to work with just one frame jig. Right. I don't know how right. we did that. So <laughs> late uh, nights is what that is. And that's like that's like reserving ice oh, time for oh, hockey geez. teams. <laughs> I you know I we did, we did it. I look back and I can't believe it. But um, so when I first started the course, um, I had had a frame made by James Blakely, Black Sheep Bikes. Mm, yeah. And so I called James with what I thought was maybe an over ask, but no harm in asking, and that is. Would he teach me how to weld titanium? And so during the Christmas break, uh, 2010, I uh, went out to Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, that was the first time that, that was when I was introduced to titanium. I got to know uh, James Moore. And over the years, uh, Black Sheep Bikes has just been incredibly instrumental in our student success in the course. So, for instance, the jigs that we have have a lineage, a pedigree. So it's the same jig that James uses out at Black Sheep Bikes. And that jig is modeled after uh, one from Boulder Cycles that he used maybe 30 years ago when he first started making frames. And so we've got 13 of those frames in an anvil jig. Uh, James comes out every year and has been out here every year since we started. Wow. 
to do a week-long workshop. And we build a bike, uh, we'll design the frame, they'll come out, we'll begin to fabricate, we'll work with him, students will. He'll critique uh, students' uh, work, he'll answer questions, and uh, it just gives, gives students a real solid sense of what a professional frame builder, maybe one of the best in the world, sure. um, you know, is like. And uh, James and I become uh, tremendous friends. Uh, Taryn, his son, who is gigantic tall, uh, was uh, not too tall when I first met him. Uh, but now he's, uh, uh, he's going to be 25. Uh, but he and his father are black sheep bikes. And, I, you know, James has won uh, awards at NABS, I think, every year that he's participated. And then it was really cool. This past year, we did a Iowa black sheep booth at uh, the International Bike Show Bespoked in London. And a grad student, uh, Billy Cho, uh, who's essential, and Taryn Blakely all went to NAPS. And uh, Taryn uh, took second place. Wow. And that's internationally. And you know, I just, I, I'm just really pleased with that all the way around. So anyway. Black Sheep Bikes, uh, the University of Iowa, uh, really uh, just, they've been so critical to our development over the years. It's, it's an incredible program. And I wanna, I wanna dive a little bit into its future. I'm actually, when I was here, <laughs> I, I, and I'm gonna go back to how you and I met because I think it's hilarious. Oh yeah. Um, so I was here, in 2019, we talked about how you build the bikes and the program and that, and I'm actually going to um, publish the audio from our conversation. So everybody who's listening, go to part two to listen oh, to our cool. conversation right. from 2019. Yeah. Um, but we met, I went to Alaska to do a film on the human powered version of the Iditarod Trail called the Iditarod Trail Invitational. Right. And I went with Steve Cannon. We ended up with a film called A Thousand Miles to Nome. And um, I just, I never forget, like, I'm, I'm in Alaska. I knew Mike Wallace because he's a friend of Kanjo's. I met one other guy who's from Iowa who was up there doing the 150-mile race. Um, he was from Sioux center maybe north northwest iowa i can't remember mm -hmm. his name um but it's like i've been in iowa a long time i've been a cyclist a long time and i feel like i know everybody and i'm in rainy pass lodge in the little cabin that were that you rent for 250 dollars a night for a bed and there's no restroom uh no running water but you do get a warm bed it was a very nice cabin yeah. but it yeah. was still oof. so <laughs> two guys walk in and have a seat on the couch. We're just kind of hanging out, chatting. Oh, where are you from? I'm from Iowa. What do you mean? <laughs> what? What do you mean you're from Iowa? Like we're 150 miles from anywhere. Right. 
on the Iditarod Trail, right? And you roll in on your fat bike that you hand built with Judd, your yeah. back of the pack racing buddy, and um, and that's where you and I met, who live a hundred miles from each other that's in right. Iowa. Yeah. which I just think it's hilarious. I, yeah, and that was a great um, that was a great point in the race for me because I woke up that morning. After a 20-hour day, uh, and I was just completely wiped out. Thought there's just no way I can go on. Oh wow! You you had a 20-hour day coming into Rainy Pass Lodge. Yeah. Where did you start? So we started uh, at Squintna, and uh, what happened? What I remember, Jed kept saying because he'd done it before. It's downhill. It's downhill. And we just kept pushing uphill. And we've got single speeds, and so, you know, we're we're kind of barely faster than the foot people. Right. Uh, on I, a good day. I, I don't. I'm not going to say you were faster because I know there were some foot people ahead of you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, you know, we. Uh, so anyway, uh, we got in like three o'clock in the morning, and we were just. I was just wiped out, and I thought to myself. Holy shit, 61 years old, you're not supposed to be doing this. And, right. uh, you know, we were uh, sleeping in the, in the ITI uh, little cabin, which was very sparse. Yes. And um, I rolled over and I said, I just don't think I can do this. And Jed said, remember our agreement, no decisions until sunup. And so... Great. Same, That's great advice. Same, sun came up. He looked at me, and he said, so how are we? And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, we're good. And so we just we moved on. Yeah. And, and that, but when, when we met that day, I was just in such a great mood because I realized we've got this. We're going to do this. And if you, you know, I think you remember that night, uh, when we left, the northern lights were just off the charts. They were off the charts. You're right. I got video of it, actually. I just was like, Amazing. oh, my God. And then, you know, we started up Rainy Pass. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw the uh, aerial photographs that I think you took of two folks, right? Or was yes. It? Yeah. 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 Uh, George and yep. I forget the other person. I forget the dude yeah. from New Zealand and Australia. Yeah. Or both New Zealand, maybe? New Zealand, and the one lived in Colorado now. Yeah, I yeah. think they both do, yeah. but yeah. Uh, they did the thousand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They did. So um, anyway, Judd and I were going up that, that same day, and uh, just a beautiful, brilliant day. But yeah, so out in the middle of nowhere, two people from Iowa, uh, in a race that draws people from all over the world, who would have thought? Who would have thought? I still feel like that's amazing. Um, and like Iowa's not a huge community. I can't believe we hadn't met before then. Right. It was yeah. amazing. So then we get to McGrath and you finish, you and Judd finish, we do your finish photograph and all that stuff. And I was there for that, which was cool. And then you're telling Katie Merchant about your bike and I'm going to play I recorded you telling her oh. about your bike, so I'm going to play that right now. Okay. So at the University of Iowa, I do a few things. One of the things I do is I teach university students how to build bicycles. 
And so um, this bike was made for this event. And I uh, made it so that it all comes apart and fits in a suitcase. So tell me all the aspects that specifically that you did specifically for this event. Well, the longer wheelbase helps to track better in soft snow. So that, you know, just like a keel on a boat, it, it gives it distributes your weight further. Uh -huh. And then I also wanted a place to be able to put stuff. And then I wanted to be able to put uh, my panniers or bags a little bit. I, I really wanted to get stuff off the front and move it to the back. And by making it a little bit longer, it was just easier to get this towards the rear. And then uh, two single speed wheels because I, I'm always trying to figure out what I should do. So I switch out if it's, if it's impossible and put on a, a different, they're two teeth apart. Mm. So, um, and then, um, you know, the standover is perfect for me. Uh, Height-wise, um, yeah. And then the the water bottle cage behind the yeah. seat post is yeah smart. Hold. Yeah, and you know it, it's kind of fun. The fuel fit in there just fine. It, was that intentional? Fun. No, I was. I could put any kind of bottle in there, but it was kind of novel. And what what the hell? And I I wasn't going to get it out, and I didn't want to have my other bottles really exposed. So. Right. So that was super cool, and that is where I really learned about what you do here at the University of Iowa, and I had to come over and, and kind of put the whole package together. And um, the bit in Thousand Miles to Nome, I hope you've seen it. Have you seen yeah, it? Oh, yeah. I went to the Oh, uh, you did come screen. out, didn't yeah. you? Yep, you yeah. did come out. Um, uh, I just think it's wonderful because we talked to some of your students, show them working on their own bikes, designing their own bikes. I think it's, I think it's priceless. So... Uh, it's such a cool program that you're taking it on the road, right? Taking it on the road. So there's this 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 idea that uh, is really compelling to me, and it anchors uh, the philosophy of the program. And it's design, build, ride, kind of like design, build, ride, repeat. And a lot of times, uh, somebody asks the question, so. What's the difference between the bike that you just made and the last one? And I'll jokingly say a half inch. And what I really mean is that um, every landscape has its idiosyncrasies that I think can be enhanced uh, and experienced with uh, the design of the bicycle. And so uh, I've learned that when I'm doing events, I'm critiquing the bike. And people do this naturally. And sure. then when you've got the capability of building things, you're, no bicycle is ever complete. There's always another iteration. And so this concept of design, build, ride anchors the program. And I begin to get interest from people uh, at other universities about what the University of Iowa was doing. Uh, we had successful NABs where, uh, you know, each year we'd take students, went to Bespoke, we actually wanted Bespoke, and um, I thought, you know what, uh, this is what I really love, and I would love to see 
uh, other schools do this. And so in March, we're going to kick this thing off. We're going to go to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Uh, I'm going to meet with uh, faculty from a variety of disciplines about how you pull off a curriculum like this and what's involved. Uh, we'll build a, a frame over the course of the week, much like Black Sheep does here. We'll build a frame and a fork. And then uh, I'll do a couple presentations, one at Crystal Bridges, one at the Collaborative, uh, that uh, have to do with bicycle building and, and the program, the curriculum. And, uh, you know, my plan from there is then to go next fall to North Carolina, the University for the Arts, uh, to New Mexico, uh, University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, University of California, Channel Islands, and, uh, and then potentially the University of Stuttgart in, uh, in Germany. Uh, there was an interest there. And so, you know, I, I've thought, um, you know, I'm trying to, to, to put these things all together as they, you know, as I experience them um, in terms of the curriculum and the program. I, I, you know, I, I'll go do an event, I'll make a bike, I'll bring my thinking into the class. Uh, students won't build that bike, but they will understand that the bike that they make is going to be made for the purpose that they want it. And that's something that, that, that we teach. So I think it's going to be a really great experience for me to walk out to other schools and be prodded to conceptualize this program in other places. Does that make sense? Yes. So, yeah. I, my reaction is you take N plus one to a whole new level. <laughs> Big time. So you're going to Arrowhead, Arrowhead 135 in uh, three weeks? Yeah, two three weeks. weeks. Yeah. Um, a bike for Arrowhead will be different than a bike for Tuscobia, which would be different than a bike for the Iditarod, which might be different than a bike for Iceland? Not, not broken out that, that much. No. So my bike for Tuscobia is my bike for Arrowhead, okay. just built in uh, recently um, when Black Sheep was here with James Blakely uh, and James doing the, the, the fabrication. But the, you know, the, uh, that bike has, this, this, this is, in a way, it's a kind of uh, backwards movement for me, so uh, in terms of frame design. So some years ago, 2015, the first uh, arrowhead I finished I finished on a bike that had 25-inch chainstays, and um, that sounds like a cargo bike. Yeah, a midtail, and uh, I um, I only discovered its potential accidentally. So I'd made the frame because it was a cargo bike. It was kind of neat. It looked really good. Uh, something I could do. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. And in a sense, the purposeful of that bike, purposefulness of that bike launched 
a lot of things that came afterwards. So I was out at Coralville Reservoir uh, riding in a, in a recent snow, and uh, in the morning, all this is so happenstance. In the morning, I had a certain number of hours I had to get back home, and then I was going to go back out in the afternoon. And in the morning, I took a, a frame with 19-inch chain stays, did it, went back and I tr tried, the name of the bike was Bubble Puppy, uh, and I took Bubble Puppy out and I was just shocked at how well this tracked in the snow because the long chain stays acted like a keel on a boat. And so I uh, used it at Arrowhead, it worked really, really well for me. And uh, from there, probably over nine iterations, experimented with uh, chain stay length and trail to, uh, to do things. So when you saw us at, uh, uh, at ITI, I had a frame with 22-inch chain stays, and it came apart and fit into a suitcase. Right. And you know, the idea was that the 25 was okay. 22 I might get, get by with really what might be the sweet spot. And so I, I made that frame and I, uh, you know, I begin to dabble. So the answer is, it's not as specific as every event, a different frame, but similar events uh, will have the same frame. Iceland is something completely different. And, you know, yeah, so let's talk about Iceland. You went um, last summer? I went last summer. Uh, tell me a bit about that trip and then about the trip coming up, because it sounds like the trip coming up is uh, going to be unique in its own way. So the trip this past summer was, you know, it, it's probably in the top three of greatest experiences. Wow. Uh, so You've had a lot of experiences, I've had too. a lot of experiences, but... Did, we uh, were talking off camera. Ten times Dirty Kanza, so that's two thousand mile. Uh, although you did have a caveat, yeah, uh, only seven finishes. Seven finishes, so that's seven fourteen hundred miles of, of Dirty Kanza. Um, now unbound, obviously, and uh, Gravel Worlds, Trans Iowa. You were a finisher, one out of one. One, <laughs> yeah, Trans, Trans Iowa. Yeah, that's amazing. I did it once, one out yeah. of one is amazing. I'm 0 for three in Trans Iowa, so you you got me like Trans South Dakota, Trans South good. Dakota, Trans Wisconsin. You've got a well. The, this actually started with touring. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, bikepacking is an iteration of touring. Right, so at some point, I'll, I'll give you some some touring history, which was probably you know where all this began. Okay, uh, but. Um, so Iceland is a top three. That's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, Coming it is. Coming from you, I feel like that's a really big statement. Well, what made it so good was the people you know I went with and uh, and the adventure that it I didn't anticipate that it turned out to be. So uh, went with James Blakely and Taryn Blakely, uh, Black Sheep Bikes. Uh, they had made the frame. They had fabricated it. And uh, we had worked on that for a while. And you know, I designed a frame with 20-inch chain stays, thinking of a new yoke for a concept. Uh, I rode 65-millimeter uh, head rims with 
uh, jumbo gym tires. All of us actually had fat bikes. And the, the route, uh, I can be fairly obsessive. And I, I just poured over uh, a route that, that we would take. And we went through lava fields. We went north to south following a lot of what's referred to as the Iceland Divide, but we took a, a, a bit of a different route in the middle and then when we got south. But what, what was, uh, James described it really, really well. He said, we had six days of uh, uh, live to ride, and we had three days of ride to live. Oh. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it, as it turned out, we had uh, a rare, uh, significant uh, storm in the Central Highlands. Uh, winds over 89 miles an hour for 20 hours. Oh. And luckily, we made it to a hut. Uh, but we, it, it was just astounding. and. Uh, when I, I looked at the route, originally I thought, okay, easy, 65 mile days, no big deal. Sure, we're fully loaded. Sure, we're on single speed. Not a problem. I mean, you've ridden through Alaska. Right. So. And so, well, here's a comparison. Lava field, we, I was faster on the Iditarod Trail on my single speed than I was in the lava field on my bike. Wow. Yeah. It was, we were averaging 4.2 miles an hour. Riding or? Hike a bike. Hike a bike, riding, the, the full combination. Yeah. However wow. we got through it. What was so bad about it? Um, the wind, but then sure. the, the, the surface. I mean, there were just huge rocks. And, you know, we were bouncing everywhere. Uh, it was really tough terrain. Nothing that, you know, you, you think of Iceland and you think, you, you, you open it up, You first thing you do is you say, what's the temperature? And you say, ah, oh, it's colder in Iowa City than it is in Iceland in the winter. And in Iceland, it's warmer in Iowa City in the summer. I mean, cooler than Iowa City in the summer. This is OK. And it gets up to 50, 60 in the summer. And you know that can't be bad. The wind is off the charts in that country. And when you get into the central highlands, you're completely exposed. There is no protection. There is nowhere to go, and uh, it can, so you know specifically, what happened was um, we had five significant river crossings, and I, you know, I anticipated that this was going to be new, uh, that it could be a challenge, and um, I first one we came to. I got my bike across, uh, went back to get another bike, fell in. Oh. 36 degrees, glacial stream, it's raining. Oh. We were at least 16 hours away from shelter, and um, I realized I had made a stupid mistake by just being a little bit ca too cavalier. Uh, in making, trying to make my second pass back across the river. And as I laid in the water, I thought, your mind is not going to be kind to you for the rest of the day. And I realized, uh, 
Carol, Scott, John, Taryn, James. Uh, they needed me not to screw up and to get through this day. And I, you know, you know, in a flash of a second, you go through everything that you're you're trained, everything that you've had in the past, to figure out what you should do in that moment. And I didn't want to be hypothermic. I uh, was afraid that if I uh, that I would get, I could potentially get wet. Uh, all the the dry clothes that I had otherwise, and uh, over the course of a day, and that in a real emergency situation, not that this wasn't, uh, I might be in 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 a, in a bad situation, and so I. Uh, you know, I, what I did was I, um, I put uh, the um, plastic bags over my wool socks with my wool socks sopping wet inside my shoes, and I kept them that way without changing. And then I took off my rain pants and allowed my uh, wool bike shorts to be exposed. And my wool top, I didn't fall above my, the top of my chest. But half of my uh, uh, outdoor research wool top was wet. And I uh, opened up my jacket and uh, I rode hard. And every time thinking about how cold I was popped into my head, I just, you know, pivoted, went somewhere else, just kept pushing. And then eventually by the, you know, the fourth crossing, uh, I was fairly confident that I'm going to get through the day. It was a cold day. It was weighing on me. Then the winds picked up to 70 miles an hour. Uh, Scott's chain broke. We were five miles from the hut. We didn't know if we could get in because this is the latest in history that the interior roads had been closed. And so there was nobody on the roads uh, through the interior. And for that reason, the huts might not be open. But Scott promised me, regardless of if it was locked, we were going to get in. And um, when we uh, when we saw the hut, we went we went uh, across the last uh, crossing, and we were soaking wet. It was unlocked, yeah. and we got in. There was no heat, uh, but you know we made it. We stayed there for 24 hours, and. Um, it just made incredible adventure. Just the, just the idea that uh, something as insignificant as what seemed like normal, you know, within range weather could just really potentially take you out. Um, so this this year we're going to return. And what are you doing this year? So this year we're going to follow a route that is the, the longest east to west crossing. So we're going to start in the east fjords, and we're going to go to the west fjords, and we're going to go right through the center where we went through before with hopefully a little bit more insight. And uh, this time, um, we're going to do a, a film. Oh, cool. uh, and the film is called Design, Build, Ride. And it's going to be about... Uh, building the bicycle for that, plus uh, 
friend of mine, uh, Aaron Kennedy from uh, University of North Dakota, is going to join us. Uh, he's a meteorologist and a researcher. Uh, we're going to make a portable weather station that people can follow 24-7 that's on the bicycle. Oh, wow. And I'd like to put up something at that place that we are, we went to that um, where, where it fell in the water, uh, because that's one of the most extreme weather locations on the planet. And I'd love to be able to set something up there that we could, I could follow the, the weather uh, year-round for a while. It would just be so cool. What, what I discovered about that spot is you could, is, it's so, a little bit of, of Iceland knowledge. So Iceland's the oldest parliament in the world. I think nine, 918 was uh, when it first started. And uh, they had no idea of knowing at the time, but the parliament in Thingvellir is built right on uh, the rift zone where the North American tectonic plate and the European tectonic plate are, are separated. And so their parliament sits right there. And uh, back in the day, the Vikings uh, would have the all thing. And that would be the disposition of uh, the law, adjudication, uh, and people would come from all over the island uh, to, to this one spot. This one square that included this spot that, that I fell in, that I was at, is so notorious, even back then, for, for extreme weather that uh, people would go all the way around the circumference of the island to avoid going through there. It's so desolate. It's it's just harsh in a way that's that that's not visible until it's on you. And um, so I you know I want to go back through that spot, but I I want to experience uh, the full range from the east fjords uh, to the west fjords and. Uh, James and Taryn are going back. Uh, my friend John Reynolds, uh, Aaron Kennedy, uh, Tim Bauer, Bauer Films is going to be there, and uh, it's going to be good. My brother is going to be there. Uh, so they'll be taking a vehicle. Uh, what I like is that we're just going to do our ride, and they're going to go do their thing, and their thing includes uh, shooting some video of the ride. And Tim's so experienced that uh, he's going to know what he wants to create with this. Yeah, that's awesome. Can't wait for it. Be, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Where you said that uh, your friend from North Dakota is going to have a weather station like on him. On the bike. 24-7. We're going to make it. How do we follow that? How do we find that? You know, I'll send you a link when, when we... Uh, I'm creating a web page, but I will figure out a way to, to get that uh, okay. to you. So he's coming here uh, March 27th and 28th. He'll do a presentation on imaging science and weather. Uh, he also does this really cool science of photography where with an image of snow being blown in a blizzard, 
he can tell you more precisely the weather locations or the weather uh, uh, elements at a particular location in far greater detail than is currently available. And so he's working with, uh, uh, for instance, Iceland Met, uh, the meteorology of Iceland. Uh, he, they consult with him on uh, blizzards and driving snow in the West Fjords. So he's, he's perfect for this. Yeah. I don't know, you going in the summer? Going in the summer. Uh, we're going to be there for two weeks, uh, departing July 13th. I, I hope he does not have to do any blizzard like evaluation right. while you're yeah. there. Well, it snows every month of the year. That's yeah. crazy. Don't fall in the water when it's Don't snowing. Fall. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> um, you're such an interesting, uh, I, I want to say combination, but that's probably not the right word, but amalgamation of art, creativity, science, engineering, problem solving, kind of all mixed into one pot of stew. And, uh, and I find that intriguing and, and interesting. My son, I have two sons, engineers, and uh, a friend of one of my sons, I was talking about something and how they threw an engineer on it. He, his, his response, he's an engineer, his response was creative problem solving. Like, that's what we learn in engineering. Yeah. It's creative problem solving. Yeah. And I'm like, that, that kind of clicks. I mean, that's yeah. a combination that's of right. art. Yeah engineering, figuring it out, yeah. putting it together and, and solving the problem. And I don't know. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, you know, the similarity between art and engineering students is, uh, is it's, it's very obvious when people are working. But what I like in the class, and I think what engineering students like, engineering students went to school thinking they were going to build things. And that's right. a lot of times they're working on the screen. Sure. And here, uh, they learn to use all the tools. Uh, it's they really appreciate learning fabrication skills. I, it's one thing to draw something uh, and uh, use a parametric software or even simply an AutoCAD drawing, but to translate that into three dimensions and something that has to work, where a half a degree cut difference or a millimeter makes a huge difference. And uh, students learning that it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't, you know, you make one cut, it's not done. You gotta make several, then you gotta go back in and file, and, uh, and then you've gotta really be focused on the precision. And I tell people, students that uh, good wells require tight miters, and that's really, uh, you know, to take a drawing and make a tight miter, that, that is, that's a skill that everybody should have. Yeah, no doubt. You know, that's funny you say that because I used to build bikes, and I, anybody listening to this who's worked in a bike shop and worked on bikes will appreciate this, but man, you can get so frustrated right. with it comes out of the box and trying to make it work and yeah. put it together and, and get it to work. And we always would say, like, we are sentencing 
the engineer who designed this <laughs> into a lifetime of doing what they designed. Like, get out here and put this on. Yeah, I, you know, it's so true. And, I, you know, I think the thing that I really like is that students become so invested in this thing. For sure yeah. they do. Yeah. And like you said, 300 frames have come out of this workshop in the past dozen years, and they will own them for the rest of their yeah. life. Yeah. Whether they ride them or not, whether it's hanging on a wall in 10 years or five years or 30 years, but they'll, like, they'll die with that frame. Well, you know, and students have gone on to do some pretty cool things. We had a woman who, uh, for senior senior engineering project, was also working at Trek at the time, and she was working on the interface between the head tube and the down tube on a, on a mountain bike. And she became the first woman for Trek to engineer a mountain biking frame, or mountain bike frame. And then we had a woman who was a finalist for a road scholar, but she made her tri bike for third place for uh, uh, under 21 or under 23 uh, out of steel. Uh, wow. And, you know, so we had student go on and work with number 22 to win the North American Anvil Bike Show. Um, you know, again, I can't say enough about the great work of, of James, but James has taken students over the years to intern at Black Sheep Bikes. So I, I didn't anticipate that students would actually go and do things. I, I anticipated that hopefully we'll have a good bike by the end of the semester. But individual students have taken it for themselves way beyond what I, I would have imagined. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll get uh, let you get back to um, building bikes. I don't know. It feels like you crank out one a week. <laughs> Maybe it's not that that many, but um, you certainly are busy in here, and it's it's uh, it's a super cool program. And I'm very excited that you're taking this program out to others that. Uh, that can combine the engineering and arts fields, which I think yeah. is super cool, and work on bikes, which is yeah. even yeah. cooler. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I really like talking about this, and I, uh, you know, anytime somebody asks me questions about the program, it just gets me to think, uh, you know, about what we do and how we do it. Yeah. So. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate Thank you. your time, and right. uh, have fun in Iceland. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my recent chat with Steve. He's quietly one of the most interesting and well-traveled bikepackers I know. And that program at the University of Iowa makes me want to go back for my master's in engineering. Uh, okay, maybe art. Art might fit better. Anyway, it's awesome that other schools are becoming interested in offering it. I think that's just a really great program. Be sure and check it out. If you Google University of Iowa bike building, there's a great story that pops up. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can also connect with Steve directly on Facebook or just look for him and the rest of the back of the pack riders at the back of Arrowhead, Tuscobia, or pretty much any other of the major fat bike bike packing adventure races. Now about the next episode. In 2019, I went to Alaska to do a film on the human-powered version of the Iditarod Trail called A Thousand Miles to Nome. As you heard in this episode, 
I met Steve 150 miles up the Iditarod Trail. I was so intrigued by his story, I wanted it to be a part of my film. So I went to Iowa City, where Steve told me all about the bike building program. I've always wanted to share his entire story with the world, and this feels like the right way and the right time to share it. So tune in to episode number 54 for my 2019 conversation with Steve. Now thank you for tuning into Bike Talk with Dave. I'd welcome you to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, please share it with your friends. And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. Or hit me up on Venmo, if that's easier for you, at David-Mabel. If you do, I'll send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. There's a link to buy me a coffee in the show notes. Now, if you want a real piece of history, there's still time to get in on the deal. You can put your order in for an original, limited edition Bike Talk with Dave hat. Just shoot me 25 bucks on Venmo and I'll send you a hat. I'll be ordering from our friends at Bike Rags Apparel in mid-January, so get your order in soon. Now I'm going to go brew another cup of chain and spoke coffee. I've got a bag of the gravel grind that I've been enjoying this month. Bold and smooth, and it's available to any of you by ordering at chainandspoke.com. And before I go, I need to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com is your one-stop shop with an incredible event calendar, as well as news, information, and trails in Iowa and around the Midwest. New events are added every week. And if you are an event director, make sure that you upload your information as soon as you can to bikeiowa.com and get your event on the calendar. Thanks again for tuning in. We've got lots of great episodes coming up. Craig Dalton, host of the Gravel Ride podcast. Brendan Quirk, the CEO of USA Cycling, to talk about the USA Cycling's new mountain bike center to open up in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mark West, a mechanic for the Steve Tilford Foundation cyclocross team. And later this winter, we'll talk with Matt Fippen, the director of the annual bike ride across Iowa, Ragbri, and about their plans on celebrating the 50th edition of the iconic ride. Be sure and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We'll see you next week, and keep the rubber side down.